This week on the Sportlight Podcast, we sit down with BYU golfer, three-time state champ, Zach Jones, and he talks mostly about winning the hour and being resilient. We had hoped to talk about a lot of principles, but we really delved into those, got into the mental aspect of golf, applied it to life, other sports. We talked about his routines and and what he's learned about what it truly means to win the hour. It was such an amazing discussion. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. I'm Dustin Smith. I'm here with Shad Martin, and our guest today is Zach Jones, college golfer at Brigham Young University and one of the top golfers out of the state of Utah in the last several years, but uh, one of the best golfers in the country, in the collegiate golf world. Um, Just a little bit about Zach. Zach graduated from Lone Peak High School. While he was at Lone Peak High School, he won three state championships and in the process won three All-State awards his sophomore, junior, and senior year. He went on to golf at BYU. He was recruited by schools all over the country, Michigan, UCLA, and others. And he's one of the top golfers right now for the BYU golf team. He's been a, a member of Especially for Athletes for several years, served a two-year mission, for his church in 2019 to Mexico, and uh, it's just an unbelievable man and a really, really good golfer. So, Zach, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Dustin. That's quite the intro. That's a lot of lot of stuff there. I only read half your bio, Zach. I, <laughs> I could go on and on. Um, let's hop right into some things, Zach. So, you know that we have four core principles, at especially for athletes. The first one being win the hour and uh you know when the hour encompasses a lot of things with time management and priority and and you know making what's most important most important which is uh, what you're doing at the moment um for you in becoming a elite level golfer my guess is this idea of winning the hour if you were to look back at your your routine and, and the dedication that you had to and still continue to give to becoming, you know, great at your sport. How was that idea of being present and being focused and, and managing your time uh, helped you become the kind of man and golfer and student that you are? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at golf as a sport, um, it's different than a lot of other sports in the sense that there's you don't really fatigue um, like you would training for soccer or for football or for basketball. Um, and so that allows people to practice for a lot longer than a lot of other sports and train a lot harder, you know, longer distances throughout the day. Um, and in sports, if people around you are, you know, training harder and training longer, the only way for you to keep up is to continue to do that. So that being said, a lot of, you know, beginner golfers. And when I was a junior golfer, I thought it was like, oh, this is like uh, football practice or basketball practice. Like I can go for an hour and a half, do, you know, practice golf for a little bit and I'll be fine. Um, but then I started learning that people that were really good and were way better than me were practicing for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, playing golf every single day. Um, it just upped the level. 
Um, I remember talking to Zach Blair, who's a PJ Tour player. Um, when I was younger, he's been a huge influence on on me and my progression in golf. And he said when he first got out onto the PJ Tour, so he was a elite level college player, won top amateur tournaments in the country, all that stuff. And when he got to the PJ Tour, he had a pretty rude awakening. He said, I remember him telling us that he needed to up his game because he would go start a practice round. He would play and there would be a guy on the putting green doing a putting drill, like a six foot putting drill. He would play for two hours, see the guy still doing the same putting drill, go to the back nine, play the next two hours and he'd go and the guy was still there doing the same putting drill. So that level of work ethic and the ability to work that long is why golfers are able to pay so close attention to the details. Um, and so that's kind of inspired me um, just hearing him and hearing those stories. And then, you know, hearing players like Kobe Bryant and his work schedules and Tiger Woods, uh, their schedules. So I've really taken the work and the hours and kind of made that like my thing. Like, hey, I don't want anybody to put in more hours than I am, at least on the level that I'm at, whether that's in high school or in junior golf or in college golf. Um, so just kind of being around that, hearing that inspiration, I think um, that I put in a lot of hours and that's what I'm trying to do is like, hey, if you can practice eight hours a day, like you probably need to be practicing eight hours a day because other guys might be and you need to be able to perform under all conditions and compete against guys who are, you know, putting in eight, nine, ten hours a day. Real quick, just a follow up on that, Zach, because that is, you know, we here in sports the phrase right outwork your opponent or you have to put in the time or whatever and I, I we all have heard that but if we get down to a little bit more specific how do you keep your focus or because to practice for that long doing the same fairly routine mundane thing over and over and over again my guess is it would be pretty easy to loot. I mean, you're doing it, but you're going through the motions, right? There's a difference between practicing and then practicing with purpose and intention. Yeah. Like, how do you not just hit the ball back and forth? Like, we see guys doing it the driving range all day long, but actually stay, like, specifically focused on developing a skill set. Because that requires a mental focus more than anything, right? To do that for that long. Yeah, so I guess there's two answers to that. And the first one would be is you kind of have to put systems into play um, where you know what you need to work on. You have drills that you do um, and you have to plan it out. You got to plan your practice. I'm a big proponent of planning your practice schedules. Um, so I'll break up. Um, if I have like a really big practice day and I really want to focus on putting, for example, and I have four hours to practice putting uh, scheduled out, I'll break it up into kind of four things that I really need to work on. And so I'll do like stroke and start line. And I have a couple of different drills I do for that. And then I'll do like speed and touch. I'll do strokes, gain putting, and I'll do like short putts. I'll just break it up into four things that I want to focus on things that I want to improve. And then I have drills that I'm doing that have, I mean, a big thing for me is I want drills that give me instant feedback. So when I do stroke and start line, I'll put a line on the on a straight line that goes to the hole, a chalk line, and then I'll set tees up uh, that the ball is supposed to pass through, and I'll set tees up that my putter is supposed to pass through. So if you make even just a minor mistake, or even if you know the wind gusts or you hit a little bump, that ball will hit one of those tees, 
and shoot completely offline and you'll instantly know, okay, I pulled that putt or I pushed that putt. And that kind of helps keep you focused because if you don't, I mean, if you get in a little bit of a rhythm where you're not stroking it well, you're going to hit tees for, you know, you can hit tees for 10 minutes and not see a single putt, even make it through the gate. And same with the putter, you could be hitting the tees with your putter. And so doing that, you kind of do get in a little bit of rhythm where you're just drilling that one thing. Um, but that's part of it, like staying focused, changing up what you're working on and really having a purpose and a goal for why you're practicing at that time. You know what you're working on, you know how you're going to improve it. And then you also set goals within the practice. Like I need to make 10 of these in a row before I can leave. I need to make, go around the entire hole, making three footers before I can leave and move on. Uh, There's just a lot of ways you can make it competitive and get instant feedback and do drills. And then I would say that the other thing that allows me to practice for, for long times, and this also, this varies, you know, on how well I'm doing, you know, with my self accountability, but it goes back to like the little details, like uh, what you eat, how you sleep, how you train, um, what you're consuming as far as like media, books, like what all that stuff has an impact on your mental strength and your mental endurance. Um, so really getting, you know, good eight hours of sleep, uh, eating the right foods, training in the gym all that stuff, drinking enough water, like all that stuff is what can allow you to practice longer than other people. And so it really goes down to the little details, little things that you wouldn't really think would affect your practice. But when I'm not sleeping well and I show up to putt for four hours, I'm probably only going to get an hour in before I start to lose focus and lose some of that mental capacity to continue to improve the task at hand. So a lot of the little things beforehand are what make it possible. You know, as I as I hear him, Dustin, I'm, you're probably thinking of the same quote that I'm thinking about. The mental performance coach of the Tampa Bay Rays is a good friend of our program, Justin Sua. Yeah. Justin says, to be great at something, you have to embrace the boredom of consistency. And when I, yeah. I sit there and think of, you're going to sit on a green and putt for four hours and oh, do yeah. these drills and try not to hit the tee. I'm reminded to something that Dustin often says is that some people want to be great until they understand the price of being great. And and you could teach someone that. Yeah. You could say, Hey, let me let me mentor you. Let me teach you everything I do to be great at golf and to accomplish what I've accomplished in golf. But there are some people who just wouldn't want to do that. And and so I love that question you asked, Dustin, and your answer of how do you stay focused? My question is. How did you learn all this? Because I think that that's an important part that we talk about often is some people are just, they would like to be great, but they don't know, they don't know how, how to come about those drills, how to come up with those drills. Yeah. I would be very interested to know how did you come up with your routine? How did you learn this stuff? Who did you learn it from? And, and why did they offer that up to you? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, I want to think that a lot of it is just kind of instinct. Like you just kind of, there's a little bit of like a hunger aspect and a little bit of survival aspect. Like, you know, like, okay, if I want to be the best at this task, I think it'd be more that mindset of, I want to be the best at this specific thing. Okay. Now let me break it down. What, what are the best people doing? 
what are people that are trying to be the best doing that isn't working and then kind of balance that. And I guess it's, I guess it'd be a hunger for, for information, for knowledge. And then obviously I was blessed to have um, pretty good circle of influence around me. My dad um, has been a great influence on me as a golfer and as a person. And he always taught us to do hard things growing up. And he, you know, he taught us to be motivated to set goals and to be pursuing things that are bigger than just ourselves. So I think a lot of that has helped me get the mindset of, okay, people are doing great things. What are they doing to accomplish that? And if you're always searching for that, you're going to be able to ask the right questions, be around the right people. So, I mean, like if you're playing a sport right now, there's probably people around you that are better than you at that sport. You've got teammates, you've got coaches who played uh, previously. You might even be at camps where you have players at a higher level than you. You just got to ask questions and you got to, you got to study them. You got to really break it down and see what they're doing. And you also have to ask yourself the tough questions of what am I doing that isn't necessarily benefiting me here? Am I, when I go to do that putting drill, am I just going through the motions or am I actually working on stuff? Then if you ask people that are better than you those questions and you ask yourself the hard questions, you're going to get an answer so fast that it might scare you a little bit that there's things you need to do better um, in order to improve at that task or that sport or whatever it is. And that, Dustin, to me, is something we've noticed in all these great athletes we've interviewed is it would be very, very easy for a Zach Jones who's winning state championships from his yeah. sophomore year on to just think people should be asking me questions, right? Yeah. But, um, but the great athletes that we've interviewed – Almost mm -hmm. every single one of them have have given a very similar answer that they learned early on that if I want to be great, I got to ask people who are great at what I'm trying to get great at how they got great at it. And I yeah. love that humility aspect, Zach. And, and that's well, that and, and the humility aspect and that that point isn't just a, a athletic principle, right? I mean, if right. you want to be a great father or mother, uh we've talked about this many times, Zach, that so when you get older and you become a father and a husband someday, there's books out there. I mean, there's all sorts of, there's websites, there's books, there's videos you can watch. And none of those, I'm not saying those things are bad, but rather than go reading five books on how to be a better father, take a guy who's a really good father in your mind out and to lunch one day and just say, talk to me. Like, I want to be a good father. How did you raise your daughters? And can you help me with this? Or, you know, somebody who you just admire as a husband. How did you develop that relationship? What do you do? And you'll probably find out that there are lots of things that if we would just, that aren't super difficult. That And also find out that these people who are becoming great probably had similar questions that we have you know, at the time. And, and, but there's the, the humility aspect, Shad, that you just mentioned is what I was thinking as Zach was talking is that there is a major level of humility. And, and remember when we say humility, that's not a, humility is not a weakness. Humility is like Zach said, it's having the courage to go to talk to somebody and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a good golfer. I mean, I have a division one scholarship. I've been a three-time all state, uh, you know, and state champion, but I, that's not the, the ceiling for me. I think I can be better. And in order to do that, we have to be humble enough to say, you're better than me at this. And I acknowledge that. 
teach me so that I can someday be better than you at it, right? Because that's, remember Eric Weddle, when we interviewed Eric Weddle, Zach, he's a Hall of Fame or going to be a Hall of Fame uh, defender, uh, safety in the NFL. Um, soon he'll be a Hall of Fame, multi-year All-Pro. And he talked about when rookies would come in and join his team, how he would share his knowledge that he'd had over all the years of playing with him. But he said when he was a rookie, when he would ask others for advice, that few were willing to give it up because they looked at him as a threat. They're not going to give him any tips because he's trying to take their job. When he became the veteran on the team, he took the opposite approach. And he thought, no, I'm going to go help these guys in part because if I give them some of my tips, he's now motivated to have to work harder because he just gave them years and years worth of trial and error right? And they got that right away. He's got to go find a new trick because he's going to keep his job, which would then re-motivate him. And, you know, I think there's something to that, that we don't do enough of. We want to go find the quick fix on a Google it, right? How to do X, Y, Z, how to be a better, whatever, instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to call so-and-so and ask him some questions because that that's implying that we're not there's there's humility there, right? And we don't want to sometimes admit that. So Zach, I think that's a a tremendous point that you brought up there. And and was that has that ever been like the more you advance now in golf, is that something that you continue to do? Are you looking for guys that any advantage you can get? I'm assuming you're asking for help. Yeah, I mean I don't and I don't see that like humility as a weakness at all. I think it's just common sense. Like if someone's better than you at something to think that you're not like to think that you're better than them would just be naive and, and yeah. pretty arrogant. And you wouldn't, you're not going to continue to improve. Um, I definitely continue to have that mindset. Um, I remember when I first got home from my mission, I was struggling a ton with wedges um, and just wedge shots specifically. And it's still not one of my strong suits. Like I'm willing to admit that. And I'm still searching for, you know, to get better at that. But I remember Mike Weir, uh, who's a master's champion, went to BYU, um, came to our facility one day because uh, the Titleist guys were there. He was just testing balls. And I just went up to him and I asked him, I said, Mike, like, how are you such a great wedge player? Because he won the master's um, laying up on all the par fives, like which you don't, like you usually don't win major tournaments laying up on par fives. Like you have to go for them in two, but he would lay up to his strength hit a wedge close, make a birdie, you know, and he just, he, he won the masters doing that. So I asked him and he just, and he, you know, took me through a whole lesson, taught me all this stuff. And I just started drilling it a ton, all the stuff he taught me. And then, you know, a year later I see him again and my wedges still aren't, aren't there. And I said, okay, Mike, you told me all these things. Like, is there anything else? Like, like, can you look at my technique? Can we go through this again? Like, what can I continue to improve? Um, and he, again, he, he, you know, he helped me. I was fortunate enough that he would sit down and spend some time with me and help me with my wedges. And the same thing with Danny Summerhays, uh, PJ tour player went to BYU as well. He's been helping us out on the team. I'm sure he might say he's a little annoyed by me, but every time he comes to our facility to practice, I'm just hovering around him, just watching what he does, asking him questions. And most of the drills I do now for putting have come from him. And a lot of the knowledge I have on, the tour statistics and strokes gained and the, you know, all that stuff comes from Danny. And I, you know, I was at the corn Ferry event just a, a week ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I played my practice on with him 
And again, I'm just drilling them with questions. How do you do these tour yardage books? How do you get the numbers? What do you do when the greens get a little bit firmer? How do you hit the shot of the rough? And he taught me a new chip shot out of the rough, you know, that only you really only find on PJ tour level courses. So just like, it's a constant thing. Like even guys on tour, even if you're on the PJ tour and you're winning tournaments, they're asking each other, like, Hey, I noticed you hit that shot. You're better at me than that shot specifically. Like, what do you do there? How do I, how do I develop that shot? And it's just a constant search for knowledge and a constant hunger to be better. And that's yeah. Dustin, that's a part of winning the hour that I, what I, what I love is I think there are some hard workers who stay naive to what they should be doing when they're working hard because they don't have this humility aspect. Yeah. And so they go out and they're like, man, I work hard. I put in, you know, eight hours a day on the golf course. But if you don't couple that with the humility of doing what, what Zach's talking about right now, you may be putting in eight hours, but it's not effective. And when we overlay yeah. that to like schoolwork and those who get great grades and those who've learned how to study for tests and those those who are great in other aspects of their life, like you talked about parenting and, and being a husband, father, wife, mother, you know, if we'll have the humility just to have these conversations, it it makes the work that we do when we're winning the hour so much more powerful and effective. Because it is a balancing act of the humility and the confidence. Um, it's hard to figure out where to draw the line. And there's the quote, um, I can't, I don't know the quotes directly, but it's like practice like you've never won and play like you've never lost. Um, and that's kind of how, when you're not on the course, when you're not in a tournament, you have to like, sometimes you got to pretend like you're the worst player ever to play the game. Like you have to work at everything. Like you, your short game might be really good but when you're practicing, you need to pretend like your short game is terrible and you need two hours and it's urgent. You need some urgency, some speed in, I need to get this improved. And then when you show up the very next day or that afternoon to play in the tournament, you then have to be able to tell yourself, I'm actually the best, I have the best short game in the world and I'm going to, you know, perform under pressure now. So it's a, it's a balancing act for sure of having the humility to ask a question, but then also having the confidence in yourself of, Hey, I've put in, I've now asked the question. So now I'm actually improved because I did that. So now I'm better. You can actually build confidence off of the humility. Yeah. Hey, Dustin, can I ask a question before we leave this? For sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking through the lens of someone who's listening to this with a high school golfer or tennis player or basketball player, volleyball player, whatever. And they're thinking, yeah, that's awesome. But my kid does not have eight hours a day. And I'm sure yeah. you were in that situation when you're going to Lone Peak High School and yeah. trying to get good grades and trying to have a social life and stuff like that. Have you learned any lessons about maintaining balance in life as you strive to be a great golfer? And how do you balance that? Because BYU is not, I graduated from BYU. Yeah. It's it's not the easiest college that you could attend in the country, right? It's yeah. academically rigorous. And how do you balance that when you have the drive to be a great golfer, but you also have these other aspects of your life, your faith, your family, your studies, these things. How have you learned to balance that as you strive to be a great golfer? That's a great question. I think a lot of people would say that I maybe don't uh, balance my life very well, that I spend too much time on the golf course. And I don't have a whole lot of a social life. Um, I think it comes down to, you know, priorities and what 
you know, what you really want. For me personally, it works that I would rather be a high level golfer and I want to be a professional golfer. And I have a greater desire to do that than I do to have like a good social life. So I have like, you know, there's some priorities there and I have some close friends that, you know, we hang out and we, and I, I also do a lot of my social time on the golf course playing with people I like to play with and that kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, I think a lot of people are focused too much on being happy or like their goal is to be happy when your goal should really be to be proud of yourself and what you accomplish. Um, so a lot of times people are like, man, I, you know, I want to go hang out with friends. I want to go watch this movie. I want to do this, but that's going to make you happy. Is that going to make you proud of yourself and bring like a longer lasting joy? And so for the kid that maybe doesn't have, you know, as much time or it maybe it's a little bit lower on your priority list too. golf might be golf or basketball or whatever it might, might be the fifth thing on your priority list. I think it's still just when you're doing golf, like do golf, like don't be worried about other things. So you might only have an hour to do that putting routine. I talked about where I break up into four hours, you're going to have to break it up into 15 minute segments and you're going to have to just really, when you're putting, you got to putt. Like you're not checking your phone. You're not, you're not even listening to music because you got to focus and just take the time that you have and really get the full value out of it. It's awesome. That's, that's kind of sums up when the hour, Zach, that's yeah. exactly what, when you're, whatever you're in, be in it, right? When that means when you're home, be home, you're not putting anymore. It's time to be, it's time to be home. And that applies in every sport in any career, any, any endeavor to be great, whatever it is, work, school, you know, whatever. Um, you got to win that hour. You got to win that moment and be all in. And, and what I love about golf, what I think I love and hate about golf at the same time, because I enjoy golfing is that in the sport of golf, you have nobody else to blame. It's you and the course. And, you know, it's not, well, he should have blocked for me or he made a bad pass or or you know she she made an error at shortstop and i mean it's you and and it's you against the course and so you know that level of mental toughness that it takes so i want to ask you a question on that i asked daniel Summerhays, who you talked about earlier who's a professional golfer i asked him a similar question i said how do you you're playing in a tournament you miss a three-foot putt that you have practiced for literally tens of thousands of hours probably in your career and you've made way more than you've missed and now you need to make it it's this is when it counts this is why you did all the practice and you miss it you know and you're on the 13th hole of an 18 hole round and and that just cost you a stroke how do you clear your head to now walk to the next tee box because you got about 60 seconds or you know two or three minutes before you got to tee it back up again and go hit a ball and then you know hit one down the middle of the fairway how do you forget about that and move on yeah i mean like you said golf's different because it's slower than other sports if you miss if you miss a free throw the ball's live you gotta like you gotta play defense you don't have a lot of time to actually dwell on missing that free throw in golf yeah. you miss a three-footer and you you might show up on the next team have I swear this happens to me all the time. Whenever I make a mistake, I show up on the next hole and there's a big backup and there's a big weight, long wait. And I have to sit there for 10 minutes and think about, man, that putt's supposed to be 99.5% make. Like I've practiced that for so long. I just missed that. 
I mean, it's tough. You just have to have, uh, for me, it goes to routine in a golf, in my pre-shot routine. If you have systems and routines, I have a, you know, a mental checklist I go through before I hit each golf shot to where I almost don't have room to think about other things. Like Craig Manning talks a lot about how you only have in your, in your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, you only have room for muscle memory. And then your conscious mind, you only have room for two or three thoughts at a time. So your body can't really process more than two or three things at a time. So you got to fill those two or three thoughts with, you know, the task at hand, which is the next tee shot. So I put systems in place and have routines. I'm picking my target, my shot shape, and then a couple swing thoughts. And so I fill my mind with positive things, productive things. And you, and you, after you do that a lot and you build that, you know, that skill, that habit, you forget about the last shot so fast, like so fast, you know, cause every shot in golf to it counts for the same. Like if I miss a three footer, that's one shot. If I m- then make a 20 footer on the next hole, that's also one shot. So you can make it up so fast that missing a 20 footer, like in theory is the same as missing a three footer. They count for the same one shot. So you can make it up fast. And then the other thing too, is it doesn't do you any good to dwell on the, on the negative. You can maybe chalk it up and think about it after the round and think, okay, what did I do? Did I get out of routine? Did I think a bad thought? Did I misread the putt? Was my speed off? But during the round, it does, you no good to, to think about and dwell on the negative. So you just got to try to move on as quick as you can and have systems and routines in place where you don't have time to think about the negatives. So can I ask you, you're standing over a drive. Yeah. Um, and I know there, you said target shot shape and then a few swing thoughts, but can you take us into your head? Like, like legitimately you're standing over the ball, you know, all we're seeing is Zach Jones standing over the ball and uh, kind of that five seconds before, what what thought? What do you tell yourself? Give it. Give us an example of like the words in the head of of Zach as he stands over a drive. Yeah, this is interesting because I don't I don't share this a lot. Like because you know, a lot of people don't ask that, but I go over some behind the ball. I'm picking at my target. Can okay, that pine tree or the edge of that pine tree? And I want to hit a little draw um, to the middle of the fairway. Then I walk into it. I'm thinking about the pine tree the whole time as I'm walking into it. And then I set up over the ball and I do my pre-shot routine, which this is very uh, tactical that I do my pre-shot routine. I do a little pause at the top and then I do a practice swing like in slow motion right before I hit the ball. And I'm trying to feel everything in my swing that I'm trying to then execute, you know, in the next two, three seconds. So as I'm doing that, I feel and I think about the things that, I've learned over years of practice are the cues for me that I need to do in order to make a good swing. So for me, it's rhythm and center, staying centered. So not falling this way, having good rhythm and then bumping, getting my hip to just bump a little bit before I start the downswing. And so when I think those three things, okay, centered rhythm bump, as I'm feeling them, then literally I put the club down and I have like one second. And in that second is where, you might hear someone pull their glove off or you might hear like a car engine start. That's where you could hear the, that's where the negative thought comes in. So in that one second before I take the club back, um, and this is maybe a little embarrassing, but I tell myself I'm the greatest driver 
of the ball in the world. And I tell myself that. Or if it's a putt, I say, I'm the best putter in the world. I'm the best wedge player in the world. And that little split second of, okay, that thought, you you filled the space. You don't have time to even think. You don't even hear someone drops their club or someone rips their glove because you're thinking, okay, I'm the best Drive, I'm the best driver in the world. Right as you already just went through your target, your shape, your swing thoughts, all right, I'm the best at this. You take it back and you don't even have time to think. And, you know, it doesn't always work. Sometimes you hit bad shots and then you just go, well, that was weird. Like, I'm the best. Like, that usually doesn't happen. That's not me. Yeah, that wasn't me. That's cool, though, to think that. Like, that's an aberration of me. Because some, yeah. we have a tendency in life at everything to label ourselves by our worst Okay. By the three foot putt that we miss uh, versus yeah. or the drive that we we go into the rough and instead of down the middle of the fairway, it's that that's cool that you think that's not me. I'm the best driver in the world. Yeah, that's not what the best driver in the world does. That's it, a, that's a really cool thought. And then the majority of the time, you do hit it good, and you go, "See, yeah. I'm the best driver in the world." <laughs> that's cool. And just that muscle memory of you know, and this is a little bit you know self serving, a little prideful, but. You have to build that confidence off of your positives. And I think this applies to, to you know, everything in life. Like if you're taking a test, um, you study hard, you work hard. But when you're in that test, if you're thinking of a lot of things like, oh, man, I don't I didn't study hard enough. I don't know this. Like that's not doing you any good. You might as well think you got to think something. You got to feel something. You might as well think that you're the best at it. You might as well say, you know, math is my best subject. I'm going to ace this test. And you, you know, you might not. And then you say, that was weird. Yeah. You know, that wasn't me. <laughs> and then when you do do well on the test, you say, see, I am, I am good at that. And that just builds positive patterns, mental patterns of confidence and that you really are who you are training to become. That's sweet. Yeah. Wow. That's some great stuff there, Zach and Chad. Um, when we're talking about winning the hour. We've, We've covered a lot, and we've also touched on resiliency, which is the another principle, third principle of our program that we didn't, you know, we didn't specifically say the word, but that is resiliency right there. It's 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 staying in there and finishing that practice round, and and sometimes I'm not being tempted to go out and maybe play golf, play the the actual round of golf, right? Because yeah. we all like to play the round, but you need to play. But it's the Monday, it's the boredom of consistency, the practice that you got to be resilient and tough. And and resiliency is also the ability to to you know forget a bad shot and to tell yourself that's that's not that's not prideful. You having that you know that positive self-talk isn't pride. That's that's uh withdrawing um the work that you've invested into the bank you're just simply withdrawing it at that moment you've put in the time it's in there it's now it's now time to take a little bit out and hit the ball like you've earned the right to say i got this i'm the man let's go because you've done the work right well dustin i would say too if we have a problem in our society right now it's not young people walking around telling themselves they're too great yeah (laughs) it's uh in fact i heard something especially for parents, coaches, or or young um, or girls who are listening to this, it's interesting. I was in a meeting one time where someone said a lot of people talk about young men having a problem keeping like immoral thoughts out of their mind, and they said studies have shown that what girls actually deal with are these these 
critical thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm too this, I'm not enough this, I, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm not smart. The girls in particular throughout their teenage adolescent years, that those are the inappropriate thoughts. We don't, we don't label those inappropriate a lot in our society, but I think we could do a better job of that. I'll often say to my girls, like when they say something bad about themselves, being the dad of all daughters, don't say that about my daughter. Don't yeah. say that about my daughter. If anyone else were to say what you just said about yourself, they would have a huge problem with me. I'm not going to let you talk to yourself like, like that. And so, though, though you said, you know, I don't want this to sound prideful. I think this is a great thing that we could teach young people is to learn to talk to themselves positive positively i don't think that that the problem is is that we have young people just thinking they're too good too smart too talented i, I think it's actually the opposite problem and what you've shared with us really helps us teach young people that you gotta talk to yourself in more positive ways stop being the biggest jerk in your life to yourself and I think we have too many young people who are doing that that lead to some of this, some of the outcomes we're seeing with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. And we talked about this a lot, Dustin, that social media makes this worse because when we say those things a lot to ourselves is when we're looking at someone else's perfect life on social media and we're saying, gosh, I'm not that pretty. I'm not. I don't have that much fun in my life. I'm not that talented. And it just makes it so easy to say those negative things to ourselves. And so I think we need to shout it from the rooftops. What you just said, talk to yourself better, treat yourself yeah. better, tell yourself yeah. how wonderful and awesome you are. And, and that's something that you shared that I'm definitely going to, going to have my daughters listen to that part of the podcast, because I feel like it's an important thing. Young people are not doing that. And it's really important that they do. Well, and most, let, let's not forget either, it's the same in golf. I remember a professional golfer telling me this once. Um, most putts don't go in. Um, you know, most most baskets don't go in. If you're shooting 50% from the three-point line in a basketball game, you're elite, elite. Most guys are under 50% in, you know, most uh, most times you swing the bat, you don't hit it. If you bat 300 in Major League Baseball, you're probably going to be a Hall of Fame candidate. You're going to be an all-star. You're going to be an MVP, which means you failed 70% of the time. Uh, you know, if you're a quarterback, if you complete over 60% of your passes, that's a pretty good game. Well, if you've got 60% of your answers right on a test, you'd get a D, right? So it's most of the time, like we, we want to be perfect. We want to make them all, but we got to give ourselves... It might have been Daniel Summerhays that said this on a, on a, because we talked about the importance. Daniel talked specifically about the importance of us loving ourselves. We would never say to somebody else some of the things we say about ourselves in our own brain, right? We would never speak that ill of somebody else. But, um, you know, he mentioned that we have to give ourselves permission to sometimes make a mistake, right? That we're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss a three foot putt. Right. I give all right. There it was. So I gave myself permission. I, I'm mad. I, I shouldn't have done it. But you know what? It happened. Um, 
Now I'm going to give myself permission to go kill this next drive and go get a birdie and move on, right? Play the next shot, play the next play. But we're going to screw up in life. We're going to have days where we screw up. It's going to happen. And the more we put pressure on ourselves to always like never, 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 never. And when we do then say, gosh, you know, what's wrong with you? You're, you're right. We just, we beat ourselves up. Literally, we beat our, our confidence up, which leads to self-esteem issues and mental health issues. And, you know, and I think that's one of the beauties of sports is that it teaches kids this. If we, if it's the beauties of sport, it's also, unfortunately, the downside of sports. If, if we don't take advantage of it, because it can go both ways. Hopefully it's teaching coaches, young people, adults, whatever, that there are going to be massive failures along the way. Give yourself permission. Understand that you're sometimes not going to play your best. But the point is, are you going to get back and keep trying and keep practicing and and stay with your goal? And if you never end up, Zach, you know, making a uh, winning a master's tournament, the point is, can do you feel at the end of it do we as people feel at the end of it, we've become the best that we can become. If that ends up not being Tiger Woods, there's only one of them in the world ever, right? So, and he's in a category with two or three other people ever, maybe just one other, right? Jack Nichol, that might be it. Um, did you become the best that you could become? And if so, then we can walk away from whatever it is. Are we the best mother, the best father, the best friend, right? The best neighbor that we could be. And if so, then that's enough. And it, it may not be that we were the very best in the world, but we became our very best. And I think this whole, this whole episode here obviously fits right under perfectly with the winning the hour. Everything that we talked about is about winning the hour, even moving on to the next hole after you made a mistake. We're talking there about winning the minute, right? Or, or winning the next 10 minutes. The putt's over. You can't redo it. Like you said, Zach, it does us no good to live the last shot, to live backwards. We can't live life through the rearview mirror. We got to, what's next now? Now I got to make up a shot somewhere. Um, Zach, we'll finish maybe with this. You have had, I, t I mentioned before we came on here, a story I'd read of you in a golf magazine just yesterday um, about uh, a round where you didn't play well. And Looks like they did an article on you, ironically, on that <laughs> while you were putting your clubs away in the trunk, which is the worst time, reporters, to go talk to an athlete right after they just, uh, you know, just lost. But how do you handle losing? Um, I think, I mean, it just is it's part of the process. Like a lot of losses, like sometimes you can't control what happens sometimes it was directly your fault um and no matter what there's always something to learn from it i think the good thing for golf and you know all sports is there's always another game uh the state am this year what the article was written about was a was a major goal for me uh to win the state am try to go back to back um and you know it's one of the biggest tournaments in the state and it was a big goal for me um but just previously a couple weeks before I had identified something, you know, in my swing that was maybe not um, perfect technique or good technique. And so I made a conscious decision to make a big swing change in the middle of the season. I had just gotten back from the Southern Am in Tennessee 
And then I was, or I had the Southern Am coming up and the Pacific Coast Am in Canada had a bunch of big tournaments coming up. And I made the constant decision to make a swing change, uh, which is usually not a very good idea to do in the middle of the season, but I was looking more long-term. And so I looked at, you know, the state M was, it was a tough loss, but I was like, Hey, I needed, I needed to test, you know, this swing change on a big stage. And the state M gave me that opportunity and I failed and it was good that I failed. You know, I wanted to see how it held up and wanted to see if I could perform with this and I couldn't. So now it's, you know, it's just motivation to go practice more. There's going to be a state M next year. Um, the Utah opens this week. Like there's, there's another tournament. There's another day. There's always something else to work for and to look for. So looking at a failure as a failure that really sets you back, isn't going to do any good again. Like you got to look at it as something that can boost you forward, give you some motivation, teach you a lesson, whatever it may be. And there's another tournament, you know, coming up. There's another day, there's another math test, you know, there's another opportunity. So just learn from it and move on. I love it. Trust the process, right, Shad? Like you say all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about process. It's not about outcomes. Like yeah. we, we focus too much of our energy on outcomes. And when you talk to these people who like Zach, who are really excelling at what they're doing, it seems that they're that all of them, Dustin, are very much process driven. They go yeah. back maybe to the beginning. They learn that process by being humble and asking people who have accomplished what they want to accomplish, and then they they put processes in place, and then they're cons- they they embrace the boredom of consistency in that process to get the outcomes. But too many just focus on the outcomes. How, we want to win a state championship this year. How many schools are saying that? Every one of them, yeah. right? And um, But then some have the ability to take a step back, to put really good processes in place, to be humble enough to adjust processes, and just focus on the process. Let the outcomes happen. Focus yeah. on the process. And I see that in you, Zach. And I, I think that's, that's why you're accomplishing the things that you're accomplishing and and it's it's awesome to talk to someone in your shoes so uh, thank you yeah what, what an awesome well, conversation for those you know for those who don't know zach um zach's a great golfer but zach is also what we want in the especially for athletes members he's he's kind of people he looks out for others um, we could dive into a whole bunch of other things under our principle of seek to bless not impress but maybe we'll do that another time but that is also something zach that we appreciate you doing i, I know you and your family a little bit and um off the off the course and the way you treat people and and really what's most important to you and, and for what it's worth you made one swing change in the middle of the season i make about four every round about it yeah about every other hole i'm making a swing change mine's involuntary too dustin like i seem (laughs) to make a swing change every hole but it's it's not a voluntary swing change yeah you you don't know you made it what was that swing why'd you fall down yeah (laughs) well (laughs) well we appreciate everybody joining us today and zach thank you for for hopping on with us we'll have to do more with you and we're going to be following your career and and someday watching you walk walking the U.S. Open, we'll be walking the behind the ropes watching you. So uh, keep it up. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a good conversation. 
All right, everybody, keep your eyes up and do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.